Welcome to the Shark Effect Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Molden. I'm an NFL veteran of eight years, and now I'm an author, leadership and personal development coach, and international speaker. In this podcast, you will learn strategies to get unstuck in life and find your influence. You will hear inspirational and value-packed stories from former and current elite-level athletes, successful entrepreneurs, and experts in the field of personal development. My mission is to help former elite-level athletes find their identity and utilize their influence to create a life of impact. My man, Bob, man, hey, thank you once again for, for being a guest on The Shark Effect. But I want to know, because you've done some pretty cool things here in Oregon. Number one, you are a four-time state champion uh, coach in golf here in Oregon, but also... You were the director of golf of one of the most prestigious private golf courses or golf entities on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, hearing you and, you know, being friends with you and hearing some of the different stories that you that you have in terms of like culture and leadership. I just thought, man, this would be a great interaction. You know, I love connecting with you, but it'd be a great way for others to kind of hear a little bit about your thoughts on leadership and on building a culture. So can can we start with like, what are your foundational principles when it comes to um, culture? Well, that's a good question. Well, one, thank you for having me. Um, so I think the foundational principles have, have changed from when I started being a golf professional and a coach. I started coaching in 92 at Mississippi College as a grad student. And then I, I didn't know hardly anything about coaching, and I certainly didn't know enough about the golf swing. I wasn't a golf professional yet. My degree's in English literature, and I was going to teach school. And then when I turned pro in 94, uh, I coached at Oregon City High School and um, didn't have a whole lot of success, was struggling, but I knew I really liked coaching. And so then, I would say early 90s, the biggest principle was I wanted to make sure that I was teaching the the players that I was around and I was teach I was coaching boys at the time um, boys high school golf I I wanted us to be competitive and I just thought if we worked hard we would be competitive and that working hard does not always translate to be competitive in any sport it just doesn't um, I think there's a lot of people that work really hard on the PGA tour and they can't win at all and um, Tiger's the hardest worker I've ever seen. Just watching him practice live and seeing him play live, he works harder than anybody that I think has ever played. And it doesn't always translate to a win, especially if your body doesn't do what you need it to do. But as I mm. matured as a leader and matured as a coach, if we're just dealing with the coaching side, what I knew, what I'd come to find out, especially when I coach boys golf all the way up until 2008 and then I switched to women's golf at Westland and <laughs> um, screaming and yelling at girls is not going to work it just doesn't work at all it doesn't work with anybody it really doesn't work and I <laughs> I <laughs> I got my full dose of kids just melting down and I'd never seen that and I was like man mm -hmm. I'm struggling and so the, one of the things that I think as leaders whether you're coaching or running 
McDonald's and I, I have a great friend who runs McDonald's franchise. And then, I mean, and at Oregon, you get to be around all these CEOs and presidents and CFOs. And so one of the things that was super consistent with every single leader I was around and every good coach, they were constantly learning. And so as I was struggling, I was like, man, I, I don't know anything about women as far as coaching women. And I certainly didn't know enough about how to deal with competitive women because our team was going to be good. So I decided to go and learn from who I thought was a really good women's coach. And that's a guy named Brad Smith who coached at Oregon city high school forever. He's got, I think four national championships and 12 state championships in basketball. I mean, he's unreal. So I just went to him and I said, look, I, I don't think I know what I'm doing. And he goes, well, you know, the golf swing and you know how to teach golf. You just don't know how to coach it yet, especially with women. And so we just went over the details of making sure you care about the individual. So I think the first thing that I really focused on is how much I care about the people. And it it definitely doesn't always come across because, I mean, I'm a big guy uh, and I have a big, loud voice. And so sometimes people hear the tone and they go, oh, my gosh, this guy just hates me. And that the tone and, you know, my kid's mom would always, Jamie would always say, you guys remember his tone says how much passion he has for it. And so even to this day, when I talk to Jack and Brady, my kids, I have to make sure that if it's, if they're already emotional about the situation, I have to watch my tone because my tone comes out and I'm super passionate and I'm swinging my arms and my hands all over the place. And they're like, oh my gosh, he's so mad and I'm not mad. So the first, the first quality is I had to show how much I cared. And um, I would tell the girls all the time, I don't care if we win right now. I don't, I'm not, I'm not focused on winning. I want us to be competitive. I want to be passionate about our sport. I want us to be great citizens in the community. Um, and so we really focused on that. And I put a huge emphasis on um, as I did when I was director of golf with my team that I worked with, when you put on a logo of a, a company, a school, that has to mean something bigger than you. And if it doesn't, then I, I don't know if you're cut out for that. I just, I just don't. Um, and, you know, I, I, you know, just left Oregon Golf Club and started my own business. And just starting my own business, even though I'm on my own, I still believe I have to have core values for culture just for myself that I hold myself accountable to, or I won't do what I need to do for my clients. Um, so a couple of things, like number one is like, man, keeping, um, always learning. You know, I heard that, that that was one of the big things that that coach gave you in terms of like with leadership is, and not just with the coach, but the other leaders that you've come across, like, how how do you learn? Is it like you get a book about coaching or <laughs> golf, or yeah, or do great, you surround yourself with, <laughs> or do you surround yourself with people who have kind of been down that road? And you know whether it's a coach or a mentor, how do you how do you go about doing that? Well, I think you know, Alex. That so, and I mean, obviously, you've had a ton of success on athletic field, and obviously, speaking and and all of the training and all the and our relationship. You know, just watching you train, but. I think that early on, um, you know, and I'm 53, so, you know, I would say my career 
um, is on the on the, the backside. Um, but early on, you want to prove to everybody wants to prove, I know how to do it. I mean, I watch my kids and they're adamant they know how to do everything. They're the smartest people that they've, they've ever told me. I mean, they're, they're, they're geniuses. And I, I love the fact that they have that much confidence. And Alex, we talk about your eight kids. They're all smarter than you. They all are. So especially Josiah is smarter than you. And so is Ezra. But as we learn, Ezra, Ezra's nine, everybody. Ezra's nine, Ezra is so. a genius. Uh, as, as you learn, and what the one thing that I, um, and we'll talk, I'm sure we'll talk about the business side, but as a coach, I would go talk to other coaches in every field. Not, I hardly ever talk to golf coaches. Hardly ever. I mean, I had some opportunities early on in my career to talk to the head coach at Duke for women's golf. He's unbelievable. He's got a ton of national championship. He's a guy from Eastern Oregon. He's unbelievable. But just talking to him, he just gave me ideas on how to keep our kids competitive. And so that's where I started to learn about, okay, we got to keep it competitive and fun. But then I would talk to these presidents and CEOs and they would just tell me, it wasn't about reading the book. It was about who they were learning from. and some of these guys were running billion dollar companies and they were talking to people who were doing maybe same thing as them, or maybe a guy who was running just a small business. And maybe he had a, a better idea on how to deal with HR issues or training issues or how to lead a team better. And uh, you know, the, one of the things Brad told me, Brad Smith told me early on, this is like, Bob, the hardest team to coach is your best team, your most talented team, because they know they're talented and they're not going to be convinced that they have to work any harder. In 2011, that team was incredibly talented, unbelievable talent. Those 10 of those girls went on to play division one college golf. And I mean, they, they were some crazy talented kids, but it was also my hardest team to coach. Lots of personalities, lots of uh, dealing with why should we work harder? We're we're winning by 50 shots when we go to tournaments. I mean, why why do we need to work any harder? And ultimately, we had some turmoil because we didn't stay focused on some of the culture things that I knew were important, but I, I kind of let slip because we were so talented. And then it, it showed up. I mean, you and I talked about that this year with your football team is that, you know, Losing sometimes teaches you a valuable lesson. I, I heard, um, and I still I still watch a ton of sports so I could still learn because I, I don't know if I'm done coaching. I mean, I retired in 2018 um, from coaching, and but I, I still may go back. So I'm constantly trying to learn. And I was listening to Kim Milkey. Um, she coaches at LSU. She's the women's coach. She's all over Instagram. She has this huge following. Um, she's very animated, super passionate when she's on the court. But she talked about, how there's um, they struggled in a game and she wanted to ask her players why they struggled. And one of the questions she was going to ask was, was the moment too big for you? And if it was, why? And that, that to me could be applied to any walk of life. But the other thing she said is Jalen Hurst, she referenced to Jalen Hurst right after the Super Bowl. And he said, there's only winning and learning. There's no losing. And I, I love that attitude. I mean, yeah, the people that say that they they don't like failure, then they're they're not willing to go do stuff. I mean, I have fallen down and 
you know, screwed up so many times that it's unbelievable. But I, I am constantly trying to take a chance to learn something because it's just, it's a huge passion for me. I mean, my mom was an educator. My grandparents were educators. And so the learning process was kind of beat into me as a kid. I mean, you had to do, you had to do everything in your power to learn as much as you can. And that's what I'm still trying to do. I mean, I'm starting this new business. I mean, I'm learning stuff every day and I, I'm just not very smart. I mean, I've just kind of, I, I need my son, Jack, to tell me that I, I can be a little bit smarter. So. <laughs> That's something. So, you know, we've both been in jobs when you have different teams, right? You know, for, for myself, playing in the NFL, I've been on a couple of, you know, good teams and a lot of bad teams. And I'm, I'm wondering, man, with you and, in your world, whether it's the golf pro heading that up in the director, how do you how do you recognize the culture that's shifting if there's someone who's not on board? Meaning maybe it was a bad hire, maybe they got the job, and then they are starting to turn the culture in the wrong way that or opposite of what you want as a leader. Yeah. How do you go about finding that? And then, you know, whether, you know, having a, a tough conversation or, you know, giving them the boot, how does that, how did that look? Well, I think, uh, you know, I think early in my career, um, when I first became a head professional, which was at resort of the mountain back in 2001, um, you know, I, I mean, I, I admitted, I mean, I, I kind of ran the show with an iron fist. It was either my way or the highway. So there was no even, there was no room for anybody else's culture because I was just so tough on everybody, which was horrible. I mean, I, I'm shocked that I survived three years at that job because I was, I was horrible. I was not a great boss and I, and I was decent at being a golf professional and I knew how to run our business fairly successful. Um, mm -hmm. But I knew I needed to make changes. And I just, it's what I said earlier, you, you, you spend so much time trying to prove to everybody that you know what you're doing. And I, I mean, I, I, you asked, you know, do I read a book or anything? So I, I study a bunch of different guys. So I study John Gordon, Ed Milet, um, John Maxwell, Simon Sinek. Those are all guys I study and read and, and try to pay attention to what they're saying. Simon Sinek said, um, you know, he talked to, he talks about how, we spend all this time, and I'm going to answer your question this way. We spend all mm -hmm. this time training people to do things, whether it's training them how to be a, a great defensive back or training them how to run a business and everything. And they move their way up. And then when they finally get put in charge, they're the team captain or they're running a business. We don't teach them anything on how to lead people, which is mm -hmm. such a huge detriment. We, we kind of let them fail on purpose. And then they typically lose their job or they get moved to a different job because they're in the way. And then a new leader comes in and this cycle gets repeated. So I knew that. So one, how I recognize it is I spent a ton of time with our people. I had to talk to them every single day. I had to be around them all the time. And because of my age, I think, and my mom kind of instilling the fear of, God in me about working hard. Um, mm -hmm. I knew how to do every job. And so I would, when I was at the club, I, I knew how to pick the range and I knew how to pull out carts. And, you know, I did 
the merchandising and I knew how to run tournaments. And so when my team would struggle, I would either think, okay, do we not have the right process or do I not have the right person? And it's okay to not have the right person. It doesn't mean they're bad. It's just, that's the wrong fit. If, if I put Alex Molden at quarterback, he could probably figure out how to throw the ball, but is that the right fit for Alex Molden when he's probably a better defensive back? So finding, there's a great book by John Gordon called The Energy Bus that I'm actually teaching with somebody right now, mentoring somebody with this book. And, you know, it talks about just having the right people on the bus and making sure that they are committed to be on the bus. Now, when they're not, it is a crucial conversation, but you should have enough of a relationship with every single person that that conversation isn't that hard. Because I have experienced that no one, no one shows up to work and go, man, I hope I get fired today. Today is the day it's going to happen. No one does. Just like I don't think anybody walks in a locker room and go, I can't wait to lose by 50. It's going to be awesome. It's unbelievable. I'm so excited. I hope we don't win a game. No one says that. And if people that do say that, they're not going to last anyway because they're not going to put in the effort. They're going to get hurt. They get fired quickly. And so I always assume that if my team was struggling, especially, I, I, you know, I think my best leadership years were probably the last five. Um, those are some tough years of my life, but they were probably the last five. I learned the most. Mm. But they were also some of the hardest years that I've had the last five. And um, there was plenty of turmoil on my team. Lots of turnover of staff. COVID happened golf boomed. There was all these things that happened, but I think I led the best because I I spent so much time just trying to figure out my people and really focusing on the core values that I had set in motion. And we stuck to them. And there's some things that we, you know, I would tell my people, you have to figure out in life, whoever you are, what your non-negotiables are. And you know, for me, one of my non-negotiables is spending time with my children. Now, I would say early on, um, I'm a normal guy, I think. I was focused on my career and making money for my family and making sure my kids had a bunch of stuff. So I went to work all the time. Now, that probably wasn't the best thing to do because all they wanted to do is spend time with me. And so now that's a huge focus for me. It's a non-negotiable. I my daughter plays college golf. I try to go to every tournament that I can. I mean, it's out of state, but I try to figure out financially how to do it. My son plays baseball at a high level. I am at every game. Whether he plays or not, I sit in the stands and keep my mouth shut, which is shocking to some people, but I don't say a word because I don't know enough to say anything. He's a pitcher and he's really good, and I just kind of sit there and hope he plays good. So I think, yeah. you know, I'm – I'm of the mindset that when I was leading my team, I wanted them to tell me what their non-negotiables were. So, you know, if I if I had a team member, the the head professionals that are at Oregon right now, the guy that's there, when I hired him, he flat out told me, he goes, Hey, I want to be able to go to my son's football games. And I go, Okay, sure. When are they? And he goes, uh, Saturday mornings. And I'm like, okay. Now, Saturday morning at a private country club is busy. So I'm like, okay, so what do you think we should do? And he goes, well, are you going to let me do that? And I said, I, 
It's not let you do that. How do we do that? How do we make that work? And I, I can admit there were times where it was a struggle because I was like, we're busy or maybe I thought he should be there because as the head professional, he would run the facility and I was in charge of budgetary stuff and overall, you know, just the bigger scope of what we were doing. But we made it work because it was a non-negotiable for him. And I think showing him, if we go back to what I first said, showing people how much you care about him, I I don't think he took advantage of me because of it. I just think that was the best thing for us to do so that he was a better employee the other days he was there. So many of you know I played eight years in the NFL. What you might not know is I've had multiple surgeries throughout my NFL and collegiate career. I've had both ankles, both knees worked on in a sports hernia. And these different surgeries, they've, they've given me pain over the years. And I've tried to, to look for different medications and, and ointments and gels and all this stuff to help heal that. But once I started finding out and started doing research on things within my body that can be done to help alleviate this pain, I started to kind of venture down this road of gut health. And gut health is your gut is like a second brain. The cleaner your gut is, the more things can be able to enter into your system and start to help you. And understanding this, Nodora is a probiotic that's like no other. It's specific, it's custom, and it's based on science. If you're having trouble with sleeping, with body inflammation, with pain, bloating, and even overall weight loss, Nodora can be the answer because it fixes things at the well, not at the faucet. So make sure to check out Nodora at Nodora, N-U-D-O-R-A.com. And when you purchase, make sure when you check out Shark Effect 25 for 25% off your order. Okay? All right. Don't say I ain't never did nothing for y'all. Back to the show. Um, what is something that, you know, most athletes, right? Athletes, and I love them. But at the same time, I hate them. <laughs> With the athletes, just because, you know, the higher up they go, and I'm interested to hear you like your thoughts on this, but it, you know, with like football or basketball, these athletes they've been told something for so long that their ability um, is so great that they get a free pass. And then with with some some people, they don't care how good they are in their sport. If you're a terrible person, you're a terrible person. Mm -hmm. And I'm and so I'm interested to hear like on the golf thing, I, and maybe it's just because it's a type of people, or maybe it's, it's a singular, you know, it's not like a big, it's a team. It's like more individual. It's like how do you, with these athletes, um, getting them to see like, or understand like character and the character that you have, no matter if it's on the golf course or the basketball court or whatever, like that character. People will remember that, mm -hmm. that character that you have more than just your ability. How do you, how do you, um, how do those athletes in your world, in, this, in the golf world, how do they see that? Or do they even care about their character? 
Well, I think, you know, so obviously I deal with Brady a lot being a college golfer and, and watching her play and, and one starting her out in the game. The, the best thing about a, the, one of the best things I love about our sport is you, you as in tournaments, you call penalties on yourself. There is no referee. There is no umpire, mm. you know, so where Jack deals with an umpire, which is a lot of it is very subjective of what the strike zone is going to be that day as a pitcher or as a hitter. If, if Brady makes a mistake on the golf course, she has to call the penalty on herself. No one else is going to do it. And if you don't call those penalties, that character, you, you get labeled as a cheater, which is no good. You can't, out, you can't outrun that label. It's, it's almost over with in our sport. Um, and there's some guys on tour that, it, I mean, that's happened to, and that's awful. Uh, but they've also made those choices, and people see them that way. And so then all of a sudden, it carries over into their personal life where they're like, gosh, you know, can I trust that guy? And I, I used to, I mean, I still believe this. Um, you can learn a lot from somebody by playing golf with them for four hours. And you can honestly mm. decide, do I want to be around this person? Just how they mm. talk, how they treat the staff at a club. Um, you know, I, I think that in itself says a lot about the character of, of the sport. I think, you know, you and I have talked a lot about identity when we've been together and, and what you try to impart on your kids. And that's the one thing that I would say that I work with both of my kids on is that um, what they get to do is not normal. It's not normal to play a sport at a high level. I mean, a lot of people want to, but that's not normal. And there's a ton of high school players that play, but they're, they're not all going to be able to play college sports. Right now, we don't know if Jack will play college baseball. We, we think he's going to, and I, I'm probably 90% sure he's going to at a high level. Brady's lucky enough to play college golf, but that's not normal. And so what I've told them to keep them grounded is realize how special it is. Because one, uh, I guarantee nobody cares that you're that good if you are a jerk all the time. And so we, Jamie and I have always said to him, it doesn't cost anything for you to be nice. Just be nice to people. And, um, you know, the, the people I always worry about, um, whether it's in our sport or in business or if they're super nice to your face and then they talk bad about you behind your back, that's, that's no good. And that, that's a, that's a quality that I worry about a lot. You know, the, one of the, one of the non-negotiable core values that I taught my team, especially the last couple of years with COVID um, and the pandemic is that there's, there's a huge difference between service and hospitality. Service is the act of handing. So when you and I are working out, if you hand me the kettlebell and just hand it to me, don't say anything. And I take it and I, whether we're doing a kettlebell swing or I'm doing some kind of walk, or anything with the kettlebell, well, you that the service is handing me the kettlebell. But if you hand me the kettlebell and say, Bob, I am so confident in your ability to do this, that's the hospitality side. That's how you make somebody feel when you do something. And people always relate it to an act of service. Like my job is in the service industry in golf. That's it, you know, we focused on hospitality, but that's in every part of life, holding the door for your spouse or for a friend, being able to 
you know, pick up the phone and call somebody and just tell them that you're thinking about them. That's the hospitality side. And that, that is probably the biggest thing that I have focused on with my kids and with the athletes that I've been around is that they don't get a free pass when it comes to that. Um, you know, Jack's doing a, a youth clinic today for his high school team. And one of the things Jamie told him is remember how, big it was when you used to go to these clinics to hang out with high school players realize that these kids think you're special don't act special just spend time with them because that's all they want and that that mm -hmm. lesson is constant whether it's i mean because i mean like i see elijah sometimes when he comes to roke and i i'm in awe of an nfl athlete i think elijah is special but what makes it even more special is when he comes and just works out with me and hangs out on, you know, while we're stretching and just talks to me just about life because he doesn't say, well, you know, I can't talk to Bob. He's just a fat white guy sitting over there. I'm not going to talk to him. So, <laughs> which I am a fat white guy. So, <laughs> so I think that that's, that's the thing I think that you're trying to get at is, is there a free pass because they're good athletes? I, I don't think so. Um, you know, some of the things that have happened on the PGA tour have been interesting because Tiger's very human now. Um, and I think he's, he's very human because some of the failures, but he, I think he's also very human because he has a son who wants to play golf and he's trying to train him differently than he was trained. And, uh, um, yeah. you know, that, that's the great thing about being a parent sometimes is that we can, we can kind of change the course of history a little bit with maybe a, a bad thing that happened to us as kids with our parents, we could just decide, you know what, I'm breaking the cycle. Um, yeah. You know, cause there's parts of my childhood that weren't great, but that's okay. I, I wasn't going to let that happen to my kids. And it's just the, yeah. you know, it's just what I wanted for them. In a big, in a big word, there is the, the decision. Yeah. You can decide to, to go a different course. I think that's so powerful. What are some some more of your um, non-negotiables mm. or or val or values? Because I think you know, knowing you, they're so foundational. Whether it's at in your business or in your personal life, yeah, like these certain non-negotiables. Well, I I think are game changing. You know, so for me, I mean, I I I make no bones about it. I'm a faith based guy, so you know, I think you know, God's going to lead the direction for me. And so, um, having the power of prayer and, and being focused on that and that that's not corny for me. I, I don't care if people don't like it. It's not that big of a deal for me. I mean, for a long period of time at Oregon, my Bible sat on my desk, um, because it, it was a constant reminder that this job, I mean, the job is not easy. Any job's not easy. And so the power of prayer is super important and having that foundation. So that's, that's one of them for me uh, Two, uh, my kids and spending time with my family is a non-negotiable for me. I mean, I, I am, um, I'm not married anymore, but you know, Jamie and I are great friends and, and I, I am focused on doing the right things to help every part of my family, whether it's my mom or Jamie or, you know, help my kids. And then I would say um, from there, you know, in, integrity and honesty are, uh, I have to do the right thing. Um, and, you know, the definition for me for integrity is it's doing the right thing when no one's watching. It, you know, you can get away with it, but you shouldn't, 
And so I, uh, I'm very focused on the fact that we have to do the right thing. And that's, those are some hard conversations sometimes to have with my kids is, you know, is this the right thing? Is it, is it really the right thing? I had to have one of those conversations with my daughter yesterday. <laughs> I think she wasn't real happy with my answer, but you know, I gave the answer. And, and I think, you know, you mentioned earlier, the crucial conversations the the probably the most consistent thing with me the last five, six years is I haven't shied away from having conversations that I needed to have. I didn't always do my best in those conversations, but I still had them uh, because yeah. they're just so important. I just, I just didn't want to miss an opportunity, whether it was with my kids or with a, a member of my team that I was coaching, you know, at, at the club or, or anything like that. I just, I had to have those conversations. Hmm. That's beautiful. That's good stuff, man. Bob, man, I could sit here and talk with you for <laughs> another 40 minutes, man, but uh, I want to be respectful of your time. Is there anything that we might have missed or maybe a question that I didn't ask you that I should have asked? I want to try to scrape the plate with you. Mm -hmm. You got all this knowledge and whatnot. You, you, you think that you, or you say that you don't. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen, you know me very well. It, it's I'm I'm just a kid from Oregon City trying to figure it out. Uh, I would say, you know, the, the thing we touched on and I I would. Um, since I've left Oregon, I mean, I, I was I saw a golf professional yesterday that I'm friends with. I mean, he and I are acquaintances. I mean, I don't know how good of friends we are, but he goes, oh, I heard you retired. And I'm like, but I don't think I retired. Um, I think that the biggest thing is, uh, I want to keep learning, you know, so it, when I turned, we didn't talk about this, but when I turned 40, I, you know, I didn't have some midlife crisis or anything like that, but what I decided was that I was going to learn something new every year. So that year, 40, I was, I was going to Hawaii. I'll never forget this. I was going to Hawaii. I was taking a group from Oregon golf club to Hawaii. And uh, I turned 40 in September, so it was going to be January. So it's, you know, it's four months later. And uh, so I see one of the members, he's still at the club and he tells me we're going, we're going to Kauai and he, and he's going and with his wife and he says, Hey, my wife booked a zip lining event for us. Well, I'm afraid of heights. And I was like, so that I told him, I said, that could be the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he goes, well, you're going zip lining. And he goes, but he goes, you can only be 270 pounds. Now I was 310 when he told me. So I was like, okay, so first of all, I have to lose 40 pounds. Second, I don't like heights. So this is the dumbest weight loss plan on the planet. I'm losing weight to die. But I, I had told myself when I, I turned 40, I was like, I'm going to learn something new. So I need to learn to get over my fear. So I was like, okay. Oh. So I, I started working out. I was eating different. I was doing all this stuff. So I was like, okay. So I weighed in the day we got on the plane and I weighed 269. I was like, okay, I can't eat when I get to Hawaii because I, I just made it. So I was like, okay. So I get there and I, you know, we eat too much. You got to be the first thing off the I, plane. I know. Right? It's you like day five. No it's day five. We're going zipline. And I'm like, I, I weigh too much. They're going to weigh me. There's no scale. So I, I'm like, I'm like, this is a disaster. We're, I'm going to die. Well, so we, Jamie and I are in this kayak and we basically get lost. And I'm like, well, I didn't die from zipline. I'm going to drown in the ocean in this kayak with Jamie. This is a disaster. So I'm so frustrated. 
So finally we go on this hike, we get to the zip line thing and I'm waiting for this guy to pull out a scale. And he looks at me, kind of, kind of stares at me. It's this little Hawaiian guy and he stares at me and goes, all right, big fella, are you ready to go? And I was like, well, yeah. And so I, I literally turned around to Jamie and I said, goodbye. Uh, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. So I just, I, I strapped myself in and I went across and I made to the other side and I, and I looked down in this Canyon as I'm going across and I mean, Hawaii is beautiful, and I mean, it is such a huge God creation. And I, and I was like, man, if I die, this is actually a cool place to die. It's going to hurt really bad when I fall, but it's going to be really cool. So I get to the other <laughs> side, and this guy catches me, and he goes, what you think? And I said, honestly, I kind of want to do it again. And so I did it again, and every year, the reason of the story, every year I have tried something new. Every year I've tried something new. I learned how to fly fish, didn't know how to fly fish. So I learned how to fly fish. I love fishing. So I just committed to doing it. And I learned how you how to use a spay rod, which is a kind of fly fishing rod. And so I learned how to fly fish. I, um, what else have I done? I've traveled to some new spots that I've never tried. I've tried some new food that I never would have eaten. I just, I try something new every single year. So that, that is so cool. That is probably the biggest thing is that, I just wanted to learn and be better. I, I just, I hated the fact that there were different times in my life where I just got stuck and I, I just don't, I don't want to be that person. So I just focus on, I'm going to do something different and be different. Love it. Speaking of different, man, you start your own business uh, yeah. and are thriving. Uh, it's, it's, and I and I told you you would. <laughs> don't take all the credit. Just don't, don't take all the credit. I, hey, I'll take a little bit. I, I'll take a little I, bit. I, I have done very well in the first 90 days. It's a fun project. Uh, it's called RHD Merchandising. It's uh, I, I'm basically connecting companies with merchandise, whether it's apparel, headwear, whatever it is that they want to put their logo on. I connect products with their company that matches their culture and their employees and their clients to make them look better. Um, it's super fun. I, I love merchandise. I love doing it for people. So I get to do all these cool projects. I have clients all over the United States now, and and it's uh, it's been super fun. So and it it's uh, it's been fun to I can teach some stuff to my kids that I couldn't when I was a golf professional because they started to show some interest in it. And so I have some great conversations just about business and starting a business and. You know, I mean, the boss is kind of a, a, a doofus, which is me. And so I, I have to have tough talks with myself about kind of getting it in gear. So I, I took time out of my day to talk to Alex Molden. So because I'm training with Alex Molden on Tuesdays and Thursdays and I, I get my butt kicked enough. So you need to be nice to well, you know, man, you can't be telling everybody I, I don't train a whole bunch anymore. I, I, I train two. No, I train three different people. Three people. In but, terms of like physical fitness and performance. Yeah, listen. And really, I don't train anymore because I only train people that I really, really like. Honestly. Wow, that's, like, that's a I, nice compliment. I get, yeah, I get. Um, but, um, man, I, I think, um, you know, what you've done with, you know, how you've kind of, you know, changed career paths, it's very, very um and it's intentional, but you also, um, I think you inspire a lot of people mm, and maybe nice. you don't know that, but I know that. 
from a fact because you're inspiring me. But you know, you're inspiring me, you know, with relationships and you going out doing something totally different and then thriving at it. So, um, man, that's good stuff, man. There's a good stuff. There's a there's a guy that um, I mean, we didn't. Well, I'll, I'll tell you two things. So, when I was at Oregon, uh, and I was struggling, and I, and I honestly, I I thought I was I was going to get fired. I was struggling pretty bad, and uh, and I just I could not figure out for the life of me what I was doing wrong, and so I I was giving lessons to this guy. He's still a member of the club, and uh, and so I I asked him. I said, Hey, will you mentor me a little bit and help me figure out what I'm doing wrong? So he, he would sit in the shop and people just thought he was hanging out, you know, talking to me, but what he really was doing was watching me interact. And so after, after literally three weeks, we go to lunch, he hands me this book that he wants me to read, which I thought was ridiculous. Cause I'm like, I don't, I don't need to read a book. I want to know what's wrong with me. And, uh, he goes, look, here's the deal. He goes, if, if I was your boss, I would have fired you. And I'm like, okay, so that's not real reassuring. And he goes, but the biggest issue is. Um, you love your customer. You love the membership. You hate your employees. And I, I was heartbroken. I was like, no, I, I love them. And he goes, no, you don't. You, you kind of are a jerk to them. And so we spent hours working on how to be better for my team. Hours. And he would talk to me nonstop about how do you deal with this situation? He would make up situations and just try to get me to be emotional about it or frustrated about it because he wanted to see how one, how far he could push me and two, how I was going to get better. And I mean, he and I are great friends, great friends. Now uh, I trust him wholeheartedly speaking into my life. So I did that to save my career. And it, I think it really saved it and made me a way better leader. And then there's another guy um, that I talked to that he's, he's spent his whole career coaching people. And he, I, I started to trust him and I, I've known him for a long time, I've known him 25 years and uh, longer than I've been at Oregon. And uh, I, you know, I asked, I had asked him a couple questions and he, he had been helping me think about starting this new business. And he told me the other day, he and I were on the phone and he said, Bob, uh, success kills a business or someone's future faster than failure will. So I wrote that down on a piece of paper because what happens with athletes, with business people, (laughs) with parents, they get a little bit of success and they stop trying. Just a little. That's a, that's the same thing what we talked about earlier. Yeah. With your with your golf team. Yeah. Just a little girls. success and they stop. Look at that. So, you know, with my new company, we we've done okay for the first 90 days. And it would be easy, to be honest, it'd be easy for me not to go prospect and see new clients and to talk to people and try to network and things like that. But in another 90 days, I'd probably be out of business. And so I get up every day, typically the same time and go to work. And yeah, it's, yeah. it's in my home office, but I go to work every day, every day. Yeah. So that's it. Beautiful. Well, Bob, how can my listeners, if they want to 
you know, follow you or if they want to check out your, your website or maybe you want to drop an email. I don't want to get too, I don't want to put you out there too much. I, I think email, e- find e- email find is the best way. So, you know, again, what I do yeah. is I, I help people, companies with merchandise, whether it's uniform product or client gifts, things like that. But they can email me at bturnquist, T-U-R-N-Q-U-I-S-T, at rhtmerchandising.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me. Or they can use my other email, which is bturney, T-O-U-R-N-E-Y, at comcast.net. Either one of those emails is great. Cool. Bob. You're a good man. Thank you once again. for Man, I appreciate you, man. You're a good man as well. You tell Ezra anytime he wants any knowledge to drop on me, he can come see me. I love Ezra. (laughs) I will. He's the best. He's a consultant. (laughs) He he is the RHT consultant. He really keeps me focused. (laughs) (laughs) So check it. If you like today's show, I want you to do me a couple of favors. I want you to subscribe. I want you to give me a rating and give me a review. And then the fourth thing, I want you to share it. Okay? And I'm not saying this for selfish reasons. When you guys do this, the more ratings, the more stars we get, five stars are dope, but the more impactful guests that we can have on the show. And the more impactful guests we have on the show, I think the more insights and the more value we can deliver for you all, my listeners. Okay? So if you guys can do that, it'll help us out, which will in turn help you out. Keep aligning, assigning, and adjusting yourself to the person that you want to become. 